I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at KindFarmsInc, all one word. That's K-I-N-D-P-H-A-R-M-S-I-N-C. And their website is KindFarmsInc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is RYAN10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Ladies and gentlemen, today on An Actor Despairs, we have Nomi Rapace. She needs no introduction. She's one of the best talents in the entire universe. Her presence is so magnetic, and I am so grateful, Nomi, you made the time to make this happen during your insanely busy schedule. We're here to talk about Lamb. We also speak about her journey. I'm also grateful to Tori for making this happen. Nomi, you're one in a trillion. I got so much love for you. Thank you so much. All right. Much love, guys. Here it is. Nomi Rapaz, welcome to An Actor Despairs. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm so good. I'm so grateful that you're here. Yeah, I hear you've been traveling a lot. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and it means a lot to me. Yeah, I'm happy to talking to you, but I'm so, I, as, as you said, like my body's all over the place and my mind, I think I left half of me in <laughs> the trenches of the like Romanian, Romanian field. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. Uh, but I, I hope you had fun on the shoot. Um, yeah, it's been pretty amazing, actually. I play um, an incredible character. Um, can, you, can you say what it's for or no? It's totally cool either way. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they, um, I think they announced it, like, when we started filming. Um, it's called Django. It's okay. a western. It's, um, it's me, Matthias um, Schoonarts. And oh, I love Matthias. He's great. It's, a, it's an awesome cast. And I'm, I'm like a villain with a big, bleeding, broken heart. <laughs> I love it. You're doing the best work. Um, well, you know, I, I do want to say, you know, you are one of the greatest talents in the world. And it really, from the bottom of my heart, means so much you being here. You know, everything that you do, you know, I, I rewatched a movie called Layer Cake today. And there's a, an apt metaphor that one of the characters gives. And I feel like that's so apt for your work. Is it, It's so such rich and there's so many layers to it. And, you know, I... Uh, obviously discovered you in, in the girl with the dragon tattoo. And I had the chance to, to hang out with Michael Nequist a few times. He's a cool dude. And uh, man, you, you, what you did with Elizabeth is it's, 
I mean, you, you know, we're, we're in a time now where, you know, females are starting to get the chance to do their roles and, and franchises are existing for them that see them in different portrayals, but you really paved the way for that. And the work that you did is, is really changed the world. And I have so much admiration for your craft and really, I mean, what you're able to do with the script is, is, you know, a reoccurring theme. And I'm sorry to, to my listeners that have to hear it is the separation between good acting and great acting and great acting is when no other actor or actress in the world could play that role. And they bring it to a level of truth that makes it just uh, divine, so to speak. And, and I really feel that way about you. Thank you. Oh, wow. I get really touched by that. <laughs> oh, thank and, you. Yeah, no, it means a lot to me. But, you know, we're going to talk about tons of work. So if it's cool with you. Let's start from the beginning. Let's where, do it. Where'd you, you grew up in Sweden, right? Um, I did. I grew up, so basically my dad was Spanish, my mom Swedish, my stepdad Icelandic. I was born in Sweden, moved to Iceland when I was five, lived in Iceland for like three and a half years, moved back to Sweden. And then, um, so I learned, like, I I speak Icelandic, but not Spanish because my real dad was not around. So I, I have like Spanish blood, but I was raised Icelandic. So I'm like a strange kind of mix between hot and cold. Yeah, you're like this amalgamation of the world. You know, Bond is casting, so we might have to put that out there. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's so <laughs> rad. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but both your parents were artists, right? Uh, my dad was a flamenco singer and my mom um, was an actress, is an actress. That's amazing. And what was that like growing up with, you know, two people that are in the arts? Did that, were they instilled in you uh, at a very young age? Yeah. Um, I didn't know. I mean, he was not around. So I just, the first time I saw him or met him, he, he was actually performing. I was 15 and I saw him on stage, but I didn't know him. Wow. So he was not a part of my life. So his, him being a singer and him being an artist was not something I knew of or had a relationship to until I was like 15. But uh, my mom, I mean, she did kind of she was a part of like a local theater. It was very like kind of hands on. It was very um, hard work. And like, you know, it was not the fancy side of the business at yeah. all. Yeah. And, uh, so it's quite different from, I mean, the movie industry is one thing, but and then kind of local theater, like kind of acting is, is quite different. And so um, I grew up with like, you know, seeing that side of it. But but I think what, what they did give me... Um, especially my mom was like, you know, there's like, I can just, she always said that I can do anything I want. Like, you know, it's like, whatever, like the world yeah. is you. There's no limits. There's, there's no roof. That's so beautiful. You know, I love hearing that. And, and I'm curious, you know, going on, you know, these theater things with your mother and, you know, did you have an admiration for it? Were you kind of overwhelmed by it? Because, you know, when you're being, when you're young and you're kind of thrust in that environment, it goes one of two ways. You, you adapt and you love it or you're like, this is not for me. Um, no, I, I did. I was not into theater at all. Like I kind of knew I did my first, I was in a film in Iceland uh, when I was like seven and that totally changed my life. I, I remember being set. I was like a kid in the crowd. Like you, if, if, like you can't really see me. I was yeah. like, for me, it changed my life. Can you name the, name the movie? Now we, we got to figure it out. It was called In the Shadow of the Raven. It's Kukka Hrafsund. 
okay. And uh, it's like a really brutal, bloody, dark love story. It's your shit. <laughs> so, it's very on brand. Version of Romeo and Juliet, basically. And okay. I was in the crowd, and I remember feeling that it was like that I was in a place where everything was possible and it was like paradise for me it was just like I can live here I can breathe there's no judgment there's like you don't need to be cute you don't need to be likable you don't like there's just freedom and I was seven and I fell in love with the art form and I was like I kind of knew from that age that I wanted to be an actress that's so beautiful. And if you don't mind, like what, what age range are we talking here when you book that? I was seven. Wow. So you knew yeah. very young. So did I. That's incredible. Yeah. Mm. And, and how was your mother? Was she receptive to the idea? Yeah, sure. I mean, strange. Like I kind of always just did what I wanted. I felt like they didn't have much, much of a say. I left, I, I moved, um, I left my family when I was 15 to, to go to drama school, like eight hours away, like eight hours drive from the farm where I grew up. And, and I was just, I just told them, it's like, I'm moving. And they're like, okay. <laughs> I was like 15. That's so badass. This is in Iceland or in Sweden? This is, this is back in Sweden. And then okay. I started doing um, a TV series, like a soap opera when I was 16. So I started working when I was 16, like full, full time. Oh, you would. You're unstoppable. I love that. And and was that a good experience? You know, because like, and so it's awful. No, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. I was going to say soaps tend to be really bad. You know, that's. <laughs> it was so bad. I was like 16 and like super excited, and then I I saw the first episode and I was like, oh my god, this is so bad. <laughs> and it was like a, it was not a daily show. It's like once a week. It was like once a week soap opera, like every Wednesday. Like in Sweden, I think the population then was like nine million Swedes, whatever, like three million Swedes, like watch that show every Wednesday. And then I saw the first episode. And I was like, this is a disaster. I need to get out of this. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's so radical. I love that. So then obviously, I'm sure you had to get rid of a contract and get out of there. You know, talk to me, you know, just to kind of paint the picture. What was the Swedish television and, and film landscape like at the time? You know, was there a lot going on? I mean, I think it was like a big um, gap between like, you know, the super high end, like Bergman, the heritage of Ingmar Bergman, who did iconic films like Persona. And, you know, he was like, he was the god of film. And we had a few other filmmakers. And then it was like the TV field that was just like, yeah, like the quality was quite low, I would say. (laughs) And I was on the low side, like I was not, I was not in the, on the fancy side, but then I started um, doing theater. I was like doing stage work and um, from the age of 19 and for 10 years, that was my school. So what made you switch? Because, you know, you said initially you were not into it at all. So that's a huge pivot. I mean, I was, yeah, I never did like the kind of, my mom was into very like kind of physical theater, like Grotowski, like kind of quite like um, maybe more clowny or more like non-verbal. Like I was into very realistic art. Like I kind of wanted to explore like um, theater that mirrored reality. I was always drawn to reality. She was kind of on, on a different journey. So I wouldn't say that the theater I did was close to what she'd done and what I've said. So in a way, I didn't go, like, I didn't follow her footsteps. Like, I kind of went in a total different direction, I would say. 
Um, in in the but, Stanislavski Moscow Art Theater tradition, uh, so did, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what that's where I study at Strasbourg. That's awesome. And yeah, exactly, talk, exactly. When when you started there, you know, did you feel like because you did go to drama school, did you have a a fundamental theater training, or was it something you know? No, the, I was like, this was like a preparing like high school with drama. So I was like studying English and math and like a lot of things that was not connected to acting. Uh, um, and I did that. They have like this, like, it's kind of like a high school with drama. Um, so that was what I did from the age of 15 f- for like three years. And then I was just working after that. So I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of uneducated and autodidact. I've like self-learned on set. Yeah. But I think that's the best way to do it. You know, I mean, the things that I know the best are the things that I, I had to learn because like you, I, you, and, and you wouldn't still be here if you weren't amazing. And so obviously you excelled and talk to me about that, you know, because like a lot of, uh, a lot of people can, can feel like an imposter at first. And how did you find your confidence or your voice, so to speak? Well, funny enough, I have a story for you when I was like 19 and I got a big, like a part, like, like the Royal, court theater like in Stockholm which is like the nicest the, the, it's like the most posh the most like kind of highest ranked theater I got a part there and my voice was my voice as you can hear is always a bit broken it's always been like it's just scrabby and like it sounds like I've had a bottle of whiskey <laughs> <laughs> it's so badass though <laughs> and I remember when I got my first part there and like the voice coach came it's like this does not work for an actress you know she was like that is like you have to work on your voice, and I was like, "Nah, this is how I sound." That <laughs> <laughs> kind of says a lot. Like I was always like, you know, I'm gonna, I need to be me. Like there's only one me in the world, and if I'm truthful and like faithful to to know me, then I'm good. If I try to be something I'm not, then I'm disposable, and like then I can be re- replaced. You know, it's like strangely enough, I always had that like strong. <sighs> like a radar, uh, like navigation in me that was like kind of pointing me in the direction that was like, this is where you have to go. Even if it's scary, this is what you have to do. And I always kind of trusted that gut feeling. And and at this theater, does it work similar to the way American or British theater works where you're doing eight shows a week or? Um, Yeah, yeah. But it's a longer, you rehearse um, for like eight weeks. In London, it's like three weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's not much. Time is way longer, um, and you have more time to prep. But um, I would say that I mean, I did I, the last play, the last show I did was Medea, and I was I was like played, you know, um, you know the Greek tragedy Medea, yeah, of course. Um, and I was like, you know, I, did, I think I did fifty shows or something, and it was like it destroyed me. I was just like dead it was nothing left of me and I was like I need to take a break from theater that was I think my son was um five I would say that I was maybe like 28 or something when yeah so that was the last time I was on stage well well, I hope that happens again I'd I'd love to see you but that's so beautiful and and when you were there at this prestigious theater I imagine you know everyone in Sweden you know that's that's in the industry and and is not is coming and and did that really open some doors for you you know um I'm not sure you know it's like I've always been very 
driven and I kind of been putting projects together as like oh Ryan let's find something what should we do and then like if you meet someone that you're inspired by or that you connect with and you have chemistry it's like then I kind of start searching for something for us to do and then I would go to I mean back then I would go to a theater and suggest like I want to we want to work together like we want to do this so I've, I've always been my own engine and like very driven I guess and like kind of stepping into like you know at the producer's table when I was not really invited (laughs) way too involved I was like you know you know I remember I did I was in a play and they were casting the other parts and I was like you know you should have a look at this actress she's amazing and they were like who are you like you're an actress like you're not involved in this conversation I was like no but please have a look at her she's really good you know always like I always had this like 360 kind of view and perspective on all my projects and even when I was like 20 like I was kind of um I had this passion for not just for my part not just for me as an actress but like the total like the environment and like the the movement of the project so I think like it was not um I I have I've only done like five or six auditions in my entire life I've always just been very like kind of um, putting things together and like suggesting things and um, and and being my own um, kind of like giving myself tools and giving myself um, putting myself in in different situations where that kind of generates jobs rather than waiting for the call. Yeah, because if you wait for the call, you end up hosting a podcast like me. And uh, <laughs> but that, <laughs> no, but that's amazing, and, and and I think that's a really valuable lesson. And that's something you know because you you have to be active, you know, and you you have to be persistent, and you have to be an ally, and you have to be an advocate, not just yeah. yourself, but of of the work in general and, and be happy for other people working. So I love that you, you know, would advocate for other actors. I am, I'm so curious for, for 20 year old know me, what, what were the things that you wanted to achieve? You know, was like, was there a geographical expansion? Was there certain, you know, things that you wanted to achieve in, in Sweden in the film and television landscape at first, or were you kind of figuring it out as you went? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> I, was very, I loved films. Like I grew up watching films. I was always, um, we grew up like I was poor. We didn't have money. So I started working when I was really young. Um, I started making money when I was like 11 in Iceland, like working in like um, in my grandma's like um, she had like greenhouses where she was growing tomatoes and stuff. So I worked all summer, uh, came back to Sweden with a little like plastic bag of money and, and bought clothes. And then I rented a film like every like Saturday, went like down to the to the local gas station. <laughs> that's how old I am. It was I, like I rented films too. I did the same thing. Hey, I I, I may look young, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but uh, and then um, I I think like those all those films that I watched. It was like a lot of American movies and 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 British films, Australian films, like French films. Uh, they were almost like my friends. Like I felt like I was. They were the stars shining on me and guiding me. They were my roadmap. So I think I was always kind of, that was my point of navigation. So when I was, the 20 year old Numi was kind of heading towards that. Um, 
So everything I did was kind of with um, some kind of pull towards um, something that was not domestic, but not like not defined as, oh, I want to go to Hollywood. It was more the world. Like I wanted to be a world player. I wanted to take part and be part of something bigger, not just the local film community. That was never my dream. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I hope you take a second to acknowledge that you've done that in every way, shape and form. And, and I'm so grateful for the work that you've done. So let, let's let's talk, you know, as as these doors started, you know, opening and you were doing projects, you know, obviously I, I, I know London is, is not far away. You know, was it important to you to do English speaking projects so you could start to get, you know, some of those under no, your belt? It should. I, I guess I should have been a bit more um, proactive. But uh, like I was I started working and I was just working, working, working. And then I did a, a movie called Daisy Diamond, which is a Danish film. And then the producers of um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo have seen it. One of the producers. So he wanted me to come in for Lisbon. And then I got like the, you know, the millennium films, the list, like, and I played Lisbeth and that led me to, um, kind of brought me to LA. And then I met with, I had a few meetings, like I met Ridley Scott and I met Robert Downey Jr. And Rob, um, said to me, say, I want to work with you. I want to like, you know, do you want to, I want you to be in Sherlock Holmes. And I did, like, I hardly spoke English. Like my English was so bad. Wow. Like it was a disaster. Like, really disaster so I was I was and then I went off to shoot a movie in Norway called Baby Cold yeah and I studying I was basically reading anything I could find like newspapers at breakfast like you know like watching like American talk shows I was gonna say does that help watching American content does that help you oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you switch to subtitles off and just listen so I was I was my own tutor wow. and I how to speak English like while I was shooting a movie in Norway. <laughs> That's incredible. And, and and for those listening, you know, I know you've talked about I'm too exhaustion, but I do want to take a second just to like, you know, those those three incredible films that you did, you know, that I mean that the work in that is, you know, I mean, I think I think Nomi, you know, you're you're at the level where you're those films are they're immortal, you know, like the work that you did and, and the truth that you brought to Lisbeth, it's uh it's it's so intense and and i say that in the best sense of the term you know and then you know was that experience because it, it it's a very traumatic character you know i i can't imagine that not seeping into you a little bit was that a you know a, a wild ride both in in a good way and and in an acting intense it was uh it was brutal <laughs> to yeah. be honest she took over and I I would I I recently did an interview and and while I was talking to the journalist that was in London, I just realized something and it was like I got this very clear image that I'm always in the passenger seat, like the, the character that I'm playing is in the driver's seat and I'm just sitting next to her and I'm just hoping that she won't crash us, that, that she will bring me back home when we're done, you know. <laughs> So it's it's uh, I kind of let the character guide and and lead and and uh, Lisbeth was a a rough you know a rough journey because she's a crazy driver and she's yeah. a, <laughs> she doesn't care so I could like when when she was living in me it, it was quite intense and I could feel how that kind of 
um, my my thoughts and my body and my you know my dreams. It was all circling around her, and it was a long ride. Like it was a year and a half. Where I, was, she, I was gonna say, talking to you, you you couldn't see more further apart from her. So that must have been a journey, you know. And I've I've, I've heard a, a beautiful story that I really love that you. You had very strong ideas of, of, of how she needed to be depicted in a particular scene and you stayed true to your vision. And I fucking love that because I, I it is perfect. You know what? I, I think, you know, what scene I'm talking about and I don't want to give it away for, the, for those. But I, is that true? Yeah, I've, I've done that many in many, many projects. Like when it's something I feel like this is wrong or this is right, like. I really fight for, and it's it's never from a place of ego or that, that I want more screen time or or that that I want things to to look a certain way. It's just like I just have this this very clear sensation of what's right for the character, and then it's like, and I can't walk away from that feeling. Yeah. Um, so with Lisbeth, and I had a, one of those moments in Lamb. I had with Ridley Scott, I had a, like those two scenes that really fought hard for to be in the movie that he that he kind of put in there. Um, it's like those defining character defining moments where you feel like this is this is a crossroad. This is this is when you this is where she breaks or when she like, you know, I kind of always have this idea that the character is like a broken mirror and like in each like shattered little piece of, of glass will reflect a certain kind of time in her life. And then it's like, and I just know that like this reflection is needed for this story. You, you Obviously you can never get a full mirror into a film, <laughs> but you can get fragments. And then I just know like this little piece is needed to tell the story about her. And then I have, then I fight for it. And, and I think it must have required an immense degree of trust, both on, on Michael's hand and the director's, you know, I mean, the the intimacy of that character is, you know, it, it, it's so beautiful and you, and you really root for her. And I love what you did in that. And I imagine when those films, you know, the first one, you know, obviously was a huge success in Sweden and then, you know, came over and especially, you know, for me, it was such a huge influence on me, you know, when when those films started taking off in an international level did that was that you know was that scary in some ways or was that really exciting uh, not scary I was already on the next job I guess which is always the case strangely enough like I just I said to a friend today I wish I I would have more time to enjoy the moments of celebration you know but I'm always on the next stop and the next or the next journey already and it's like so you just kind of I remember when when I started doing all the press for the girl with the dragon tattoo I was prepping for something else that I was going to shoot and that was that was what was living in me and then there's no time to be nervous because my whole entire being is already kind of being directed into the new character um but I would say that um, I was sh- shocked and surprised that the uh, that that so many people embraced me. I was not expecting that. I w- always felt like such an outsider. I always felt like I don't belong, and that I'm a weirdo, and like you know, it's like 
the way I speak, the way I see the world, the way I like my, the the way I am was always wrong, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's like this: like so many people in so many countries are just like standing there, like with open arms and embracing me. So that was big. And I'm sure that can be terrifying in a way because it can it could feel like a facade and it could feel like it's it could fleet at any moment, you know. And how did you buoy yourself from? You know, a lot of people, you know, I've, I've, I've done almost 200 of these now. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of different people that have been honest about, you know, when, when it hit them, they went crazy. You know, like you strike me as someone who was so focused on the work and so busy on, on the next projects and getting to where you wanted to go that you didn't have time for that. So how did you allow yourself to simultaneously breathe and navigate forward? I had I have a son, you know, and I think he's been my anchor. He's been my harbor. So even if you go on a crazy ride, you're out in a boat and it's like the ocean is wild and it's like and you always come back to the harbor and it's like that's the anchor. Like and he's just like he is no bullshit. He's like the most honest person I know and he's my best friend. And he always like brought me back to reality. And sometimes in a hard way. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, come on. That's yeah. awesome. He's like, uh, uh, you're not the, you're not number one on the call sheet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me, uh, you know, I mean, like, I imagine, you know, there's always the proverbial, like the L.A. called and you get a bunch of meetings. Did that cliche happen for you when, you know, when those films were box office sensations globally? You know, you said you mentioned Robert Downey Jr. called and did you did you move to L.A. or did you just take those meetings? Uh, no, I just came in and met people and went back to Europe. Um, I love, um, I, I love Europe, and I kind of always felt like, and it was also, you know, I was in the middle of a divorce when everything exploded, and I needed to be, my son needed to be closish to his dad who was in Sweden, so I moved, I moved to London. Um, I love coming to I love I love having a purpose. I don't I don't like to I've never just floated around. I need to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it because I guess it's a way to control your own demons and to stay on track. Like I could never just like move to LA and just like, oh yeah, uh, you know, here I am. <laughs> like I've always I I only come here when I'm requested, when someone wants me to come. I've never been like, okay, I'm going to go and like see what's going on take meetings or try to like I don't I, I can't do that like I need to be uh I, I'd rather stay on my own journey until I'm being asked to go somewhere else if that makes sense yeah I love that and and, and I imagine that's kept you so sane in so many ways because there's so much you know especially with with the American obsession of celebrity I'm not saying it doesn't exist in other countries there's a lot of bullshit that finds itself residing in Los Angeles and if you stay there for too long you can get caught up in it so yeah, that's a- contagious you know yeah. you for sure and I think I mean my I believe acting and films is as I said like when I discovered that the universe of films when I was seven it was freedom it's the opposite of of a, a beauty pris- prison you know it's not about beauty it's not about perfection it's, it's not about looks it's not about um, being liked it's the opposite it's freedom and, and it's allowing us to be humans and to be every form of us 
um, you know, the, the, the sad Ryan, the happy Ryan, the broken Ryan, the angry Ryan, the, you know, insecure Ryan, like all, all of Ryan's are allowed in that universe, you know, and that's what I love. And I feel like sometimes, um, you know, if, if you start listening too much to, to other things and other people, and especially certain sides of the industry has been, can be very, um, quite far from my belief system. <laughs> <laughs> I love your belief system. It, yeah. it's, it's very near and dear to my own. And, you know, I, I, going back to your, to your son, and I only bring up your son because I feel like a, a lot of, you know, the reason you developed your personality and you, you are the way you are is because you were raised in Europe and it, it's such a different value system and, you know, art can be real there and, and things that, you know, here, the intersection, the phantom intersection of art and commerce is always the most important. And I think being there, do you think that allowed you to escape, you know, all the fucking bullshit that, you know, was probably going to come if you if you spent more time? Probably. I mean, I'm a sponge. <laughs> and it's like, and I just know what I need to stay away from. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, you know, I think like, What's interesting though is like you do have some of the best filmmakers and actors in the world are American. So it's this weird contradiction here because it's like one side is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and there's this extremely beautiful side of the business here. You know, it's like the best filmmakers, the best actors, the best. And, and it's just like this kind of battle between those two forces. And, and I always believe in, I think friction is necessary for growth and and movement and change and i and and it's it's always dangerous when everyone is saying the same thing and i feel like in this country there's a lot of different voices so it keeps a movement going um the, the problem sometimes in smaller countries like scandinavian countries is when everyone is too like when too many like-minded are like you know kind of moving in the same little room there's not much change happening. Yeah. So, I, and I love, I think, friction and, you know, uh, a constant kind of battle between plus and minus is necessary for, for any form of life and definitely for art. So, and I find, like, I, I do feel like the American art scene and music industry and, and film industry, there's so, there's so many amazing things coming out of it, probably because of the, extremism of the two sides yeah you know yeah. it's a, a billion dollar movie or you know a, a five million dollar nyu film and it doesn't feel like that middle gap exists anymore yeah exactly yeah and and so when you went back to sweden you know obviously you played this it's it, it, such an intense character i imagine creatively you kind of want to get away from that you know so with something like sherlock holmes appetizing to you you know um, I was just a very big fan of Guy Ritchie and Robert Downey Jr. The I was, best, yeah. Yeah, and then Jude Law. It was like I had like I got to play with some of the best players, and I was like embraced it, and I was I felt really honored, and it was just you know it's funny like Ryan. I never really look at myself from the outside. It was not like oh my god, I'm doing this film with Robert Downey Jr. I was just in it, and then. I, I think it's probably a, a way to, to stay sane that I don't really step outside and look at things. I just try yeah. to stay inside and, and not overthink and not reflect too much. I never read about myself. Like, I don't 
I, I don't read reviews. I don't read the critique. Like, I kind of stay in inside of the cocoon. So um, when I started working on Sherlock and, and Ridley casted me in Prometheus kind of simultaneously and I went straight into Prometheus after um, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, you did? So that, that was where the relationship for that went right away. Wow. It was like back to back. I was in London for a year shooting first Sherlock and then Prometheus. Wow. Um, and I was just so, I felt so grateful and blessed to be working with those iconic people but I didn't see it as a, like you know the stardom of it or like the business side of it like I just I, I was very um, I was on the micro scale you know I love that and and working with Ridley obviously on, on two different projects I imagine there's a shorthand that develops there and you know going back to what I said coincidentally you know Prometheus at that time it was it was different because there were still those middle budget films being made, you know, so something like that was unique and people love that. And I love that film. And, you know, but now it's it's all those kind of films. So I'm, at that time, did it feel really special to be working on something like that? You know, so different from Sherlock, so different from the girl with the dragon tattoo. It's just I mean, yeah. it, 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 I, I've been I, I love um Alternative universes. I love and that. Sci-fi is one of them, and to be part of a film and to be given the opportunity to play a human, because Elizabeth Shaw is so human. She's like, and that was something I really fought for. I wanted, I wanted the audience to feel her pain, to feel her sweat, to, to like, to be in there with her. Not, she's not a superhero. She's not tough. She, I mean, she's tough, but she's she's in pain, and it's like it's every little step is a decision. You know, she just has a very strong mind. So being that, like the little human on a planet against all odds, like fighting um, in space with Ridley as our captain, like that whole combination of all these kind of ingredients made it a pretty magical project. And was that your first time doing something that was like such a, you know, green screen intensive and, and so much, you know, I imagine that's a whole different level of acting that it takes to, to, to build the rhythm of that and to make that familiar. Yeah, it was. A, yeah, for sure. But at the same time, Ridley do use a lot of real, real sets. Yeah. It, was not, it was only green screen a few times, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a total kind of, it, I guess my life has always felt like even now, you know, I'm doing like two years ago, I shot this small Icelandic film, like the smallest budget ever, like a hard shoot, like, and now you know, no one really believed it. It's like, what, like you're going to play like what, like a lamb, it's like a lamb human baby. Like sounds like the worst idea on earth. <laughs> and now I'm here. People are loving the film. Yeah. That feels like unreal, you know, in the same way, when I was on set in Prometheus, it was like, this is unreal, but at the same time, it's the most real. Yeah, I love that. And, and I'm curious, you know, because obviously you're incredibly beautiful inside and out. And I'm sure you had a lot of phone calls, you know, wanting you to come to LA and, and, and do this, but you 
instead did something that I really love. And, and, he, and he chose really unique independent films, like, for example, something like The Drop, you know, like what made you choose, you know, because I'm sure you could have done like, you know, Prometheus, a, another version of that at, at five different studios. So what made you choose those kind of art house American cinema, you know, because I, I love you in that film, you know? Yeah, I love that film. Yeah. It was, it was really Mateus as well, right? Mateus and Tom. Yeah, yeah. James and, Gandolfini, rest in peace. Yes. Um, I was very much in love with uh, Michael Roskam, the director who did a Bullhead. I saw Bullhead and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Best Dutch movie ever. I mean, yeah, I mean just shockingly good. And so then I saw that and then we met and I was like, and I wanted, me and Tom was trying to find something to do together and it was like, this came along and I was like, and I just loved it. I loved every bit of it. But I think I've always been, um, I want to challenge myself. I never want to repeat myself. So, you know, you will see like the films I have coming out next year and what I've just completed now in the TV series, like it's all, I'm walking new grounds. Like I'm, I'm kind of entering new fields and it's always a bit of a minefield because you don't know where the mines is. You don't know where you're going to blow up if you're going to lose a leg because <laughs> I haven't walked there before. So I need to like put myself in a situation where it's like, this feels unsafe and therefore I must walk here, you know. That's so, so beautiful. That's been, that's been my... Um, a decision I made, like, don't stay on the safe side. Just keep on challenging yourself. Don't, don't repeat yourself. Don't like, d don't hold on to like old victories because they're going to age like, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's going to get out of fashion, you know? So keep, keep, keep yourself on your toes. Like, and don't, and I, I and I don't want to be self-loving or like, I never want to like, I, I, I sometimes it maybe it goes too far, but I'm, I'm very self-critical and I, I always feel like I can do better and I want to go further, you know? Yeah. But I think that, you know, because if it, it, I, I, you know, I'm a theater actor and I talk about this all the time is like, you know, mm -hmm. doing a play eight nights a week, it, if you get it, what's the point of doing it anymore? You know exactly. what I mean? Stop. You might as well stop then. Yeah. And, and so that I, I love that thirst for, for more and, and truth. And, you know, so then when you did, you know, you did like Dead Man Down and you did some other unique films. Was that, you know, a good time in your life in particular? Kind of like coming in from, you know, the American zeitgeist into something like Prometheus, pivoting to these independent art house films. Was that was that fun? Were you having a good time? I've always uh, made my decisions based on people or characters. And I feel like, you know, every every movie I've done... I've had a very specific reason why I did it. And I was like, I was dying to work with um, Colin Farrell. Yeah. I was a big, big fan of his work and I was like dying to work with him. And then I wanted to be, I wanted to reunite with uh, Niels Arden who did the Go with the Dragon Tattoo. So that was my two anchor points in oh. getting him down. Um, Child 44, uh, you know, I've been a big fan of Daniel Espinosa's work for years. And when he came with Child 44 um, it, and, and Tom and I kind of decided to do it. It was very, it was again, like about like, you know, I want to play with them. These are my friends. This is, this is a community of people I want to be, I want to be with. Um, and, and I, you know, I think every, every, every decision I made has been, based on something I want to explore, not 
no, it's never like a strategic move or like, oh, now I should show the world that I can be funny. Right. Or I show the world that I can be it's that. It's not your agents like do this, do that, no, you know? No, 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 yeah. no. Yeah. And even like, for example, when I did um, What Happened to Monday, yeah. I, it was just like, I read, so basically um, Tommy Virkula, the director, sent me, he called me because he wanted me to do another film with him, but I couldn't because I was busy with something. And then we stayed in touch and then he called me and he was like, yo, Nooms, I have something. It's basically seven brothers, but if you like it, we're going to change it to seven sisters. <laughs> I wanted me to play all seven. I was like, wait, what? And then, and then I read those, like the script was like seven brothers. And I just saw that the, this whole like strange sisterhood come to come to life in my head when I started reading it. And I was like, I need to do this. And I was like, but how the fuck do you play seven characters? That's like a suicide mission. And I called um, Tommy back and I was like, of course, I'm in. Uh, you know, how can I say no? And then we started this journey together, of like kind of finding the seven different sisters and like kind of building them from from the inside out and then when he came with a trip that I just that came out on Netflix in the US um, maybe two months ago or something okay. um, that was the same you know Tommy again called me and he's like yo Nooms I have a crazy project it's like it's like a really dark it's like dark comedy but it's funny and it's dark and I was like do you want to read it I was like yeah sure and I read it and I was like yeah I'm in you know so it's like again it's like that's how things works in my life most of the time. And and for conquering seven characters, I, I don't I don't want to gloss over that. You know, for you coming from you know having that theater experience and working on so many films, do you like rehearsal or do you like figuring it out as you go? You know, like or does it change every time? It does change every time. It's always uh, it comes down to what what's been what's required in the situation, what's needed. Um, and what the director wants, you know, I'm very, I, f I feel quite open. I don't want to over rehearse. I like to keep it quiet. Um, I like to read and do readings, but I not like most of the time I like to kind of explore it and live it for the first time in front of the camera because you never know what kind of magic will happen the first take. But um, when you do something like that is really physically kind of challenging or difficult or dangerous, like a fight scene or complicated stunts or like or Jack Ryan or something like that or yeah or yeah. like what happened to Monday where we okay. really had to rehearse because it was like you know we had to decide what each character was doing in every scene and I had to I had like six doubles and I had to show them like what I would do and how I would sit let's say that they're shooting and like I'm Thursday and Wednesday sitting in a chair and I'm talking to her and they would shoot so she, you just basically see her legs or whatever and, the, and her back but I need to show her how she's sitting because later on it's going to be me sitting there so when we turn around you know I need to know because we will establish it before I do it myself because so the coverage changed everything I get, awesome. exactly yeah. so we had to decide every scene was like decided and mapped out I love that. That's such a great way of working. And, and, you know, obviously we could talk project project for so long, but I want to talk about lamb because it's fucking the, the best film I've seen of the year. You know, I've been begging, I just been begging the world for something like this, you know, something clever, something smart, something sets out to do something, you know, and, and, and it achieves it in a way. And it's, it's so aware. It's just, it's, it's the, one of the best films I've seen in forever. And I love magic realism. So 
you know, you, you kind of started on how you got this. So this was like an Icelandic film that nobody heard of. How yeah. did it get, how did it get on your radar? Um, I don't know if you ever saw a film called border. I think I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bussy. It's, it's a Swedish film about two trolls. It's I'm thinking of force majeure. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You, if you like lamb, you should watch border. It's okay. amazing. The director is fantastic. It's an amazing film. Anyways, they so <clears throat> they came with that one to me, um, and I met with the director, and I was like dying to do it, but I was stuck in a contract. I couldn't leave something else, so I couldn't. But the same producer that did Border was also one of the producers on Lamb. So like a year later, he came with Lamb to me, and he was like, "Okay, you didn't do Border, but what about Lamb?" And then I read it, and the script is like it was like ninety-five pages. And it's almost no dialogue, as you know. Yeah. Um, and then they sent me, like, Valdemar came to London with a script, um, with his, like, visual lookbook, which is like a book of collected images, drawings, photographs, um, like, weird, a weird collection of, of disturbing art. <laughs> that has been together for years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and basically his his universe uh, and, and a book of poems of Sean, the writer. So that was the package he came and kind of put on my kitchen table in London. And then he, he's a bit, he was like a bit shy and, you know, he just like, you know, here, look. And then he went outside and had a cigarette. And I was sitting there looking at it. It's like, wait, what was going on? Like, is he not going to like pitch it to me? He yeah, flew talk to me. Iceland. Talk to me. Yeah. Like, and he did it. He just left me with this. <laughs> I started looking at the pitch pictures and all these twisted and dark and like pretty fucked up images. And I was like, okay, okay, I get it. And then I was like, it was like my whole being just said, this is what you've been waiting for, Nomi. Just jump. And then I called my team and I was like, I'm going to do this Icelandic film called Lamb. And I'm sure they probably weren't the most thrilled, you know? I mean... I mean, my American team was a bit like, wait, what? And yeah. then my Swedish team, Stella um, Hernstrom, who's my manager, she was just like, no, we, there's no no world that you're not doing this. Like, you have to do this film. Like, she fought so hard for it. Yeah. So there was, like, two different voices. But um, um, but uh, from that point, it was like, I, did, I never... There was no hesitation and... You know, my first day on set, it was insane. I, I finished a movie in in New Orleans. I shot uh, a movie called The Secrets We Keep with George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. You were great. Incredible. <laughs> I, t- I talk all your films, but we don't, you know, trying to keep it to lamb. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so I basically, I shot, um, I shot that one, finished that one on a Saturday morning because we were on night shoot. I flew to Boston, flew to the Reykjavik, drove six hours, got up to this like small community up in north of Iceland called Akureyri. And this is Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, my first day I said, I'm waiting in my mini trailer for a lamb to be born, you know, because I was basically, I knew I was going to deliver a lamb. I've never done <laughs> Like it was basically, they were waiting for the mother sheep to be ready. And like they start moving a certain way right before they're going to pop out the baby, basically. And then the farmer, I saw like two births in the morning and then 
this was like 11 a.m. and I was waiting like so nervous my so jet lagged and so nervous and my heart was like pounding in my chest and then I heard the knock on the door to my trailer and they were like okay there's there's like there's a lamb coming you know and I put my like you know just the like boots on and run down to the barn and like down on my knees and just like all of a sudden my hands like deep inside of this mother sheep like pulling out a baby lamb but that was my first wow. day on the what a fucking experience. Yeah, it was trippy. <laughs> and, and you know, I'm sure like, you know, so much of, of, of you being, an, I know you are an amazing mother, you know, were the maternal aspects of this character, was that something that was very interesting to you, you know, because like that, you know, the, the, the quest that we go on as humans to, to recreate and to give birth and to, to raise, you know, that's this, this film does such a great job of, of depicting that. And yeah you know, the, the different male and the female perspectives against that. And I, 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 I it, 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 for me, I just feel like if someone pitched me this, I wouldn't get it. So I'm, I'm so amazed that you did. And, and talk to me as you were, as you were shooting it, you know, did you see it coming to the way it was coming to life or were you guys kind of figuring it out every day, you know, because like so much of it oh, is. I mean, um, Valtimar, knew what he wanted like I think he had a very clear idea of what he wanted to how he wanted to look um but we were exploring the situations every day and we were living the life of these two farmers um and we shot with babies like we had nine babies like human babies and four lambs so every time there was like a scene with the lamb or the or with Atta you know, I would shoot first with, you know, maybe a, um, a human baby, like trying to put it to sleep. And then we would switch it to a lamb baby. So I was working with real creatures. Wow. So it was yeah. an amalgamation. It, it, it would always rotate because yeah. it looks so real. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so incredible. I was like, I didn't know if it was animatronic or, you know, yeah. I, I'm curious her backstory, you know, and everything that had before. Did you guys rehearse that and talk about that or did you kind of go on your own and, and make choices um we didn't rehearse we talked um we had um i had a very clear idea what happened to her and she's you know when 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 you meet her when the movie starts maria is her life is pretty much on hold you can you can feel like she's holding things back she closed the door the emotional door is locked because it's too much. It's the pain is too great, um, and 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 the loss of a child is like something that is. I can I can only imagine, you know. And then so 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 that's the Maria we first meet, and then slowly, throughout the film, and when Atta, the new Atta, is born, that becomes the bridge and the possibility for new life and for, like basically like emotional oxygen and to come into her being. And and I would say that like her, the healing process starts and the, and the shadow of the past starts to fade slowly. Yeah. And, and in the end, I would say like she always knew that, you know, it would come to an end, yeah. but it's also the, the grief that comes to an end. It depends on how you see it. That chapter of the old Ada and the new Ada sort of, um, you know, because her, her child was called Ada that they lost and then they named the, the, 
lamb baby Ada as well. <clears throat> it's almost like, you know, Ada is, she's a gift, as, as I say in the film, and she she's happiness, but she's also a possibility to heal, heal that old scar um, and for Maria to be a mother again and to to kind of put band-aids on, on, on the cuts, on the inner cuts. Yeah. And she can start healing. And, and I'm sure, you know, having such a unique film presented to you and then filming it, you know, you probably, on any film, you have no idea how it's going to come out. And seeing the world respond to it in this way in a time where, you know, very broad content is making people go to the theaters and, and see this incredible film that's very deep and existential and philosophical and maternal and people love it. You know, it, it gave me hope in the world that people love this kind of cinema still and, and still have a craving for it. So what's it, it been is. like for you? Yeah. It's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I, did, I didn't know, you know, so I'm so glad there are people like yeah. us out there, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, when I read somewhere or someone told me that, um, They've been doing like the statistics, like boys in the age group between like 16 and 18 gave it like nine out of 10. I was like, what? <laughs> that is mental. That is, that, is, that is magical. I don't know if it shows how fucked up or, you know, maybe innately smart we are, but uh, I, I love yeah. that. And uh, yeah. few, few final questions, I, you know, I, I, I do want to thank you so much for being here. It's you know, I've, I've really worshipped your work for so long. And to be honest, I've just stolen from you because your work is unapologetic and it's rock and roll. And, and that seems to be your aura. And I fucking love that because that that's the aura I try to emit. And, uh, you know, it's it's so cool that I love that this is this film, I think, is going to go all the way. Not that awards or any of that bullshit matter, but I really you deserve the world know me and and i it's just it's just like watching justice prevail and i'm so glad that you know you're you're able to do the big things but things like this and and thank you as an artist for doing them because if it weren't for you it, it probably wouldn't have gotten made thank you <laughs> it means a lot and so you know a few final questions here i want to know uh basically if you could yeah, any advice to a young actor right now struggling, coming in the pandemic, you know, and no idea of how to find their footing or to get started. Any words of wisdom you might have for them? Don't be scared of your of yourself and your own feelings and your own pain and your own so-called dark sides. They are your trophies. They are your crown. Like, embrace all sides of you. Because perfection doesn't exist. Only humanity does. And that is your greatest tool. I love that. Thank you. You are so wonderful. Thank you for coming on. And it, it means so much to me. And I'm so excited. Can you just last one, say what's next for coming out in the 2022? Yes. Um, I have a movie coming out called... You won't be alone. Okay. Um, that I'm very excited about, and then I have a movie coming out called Black Crab. Awesome, Black Crab, love it. Yeah. Well, come yes. back and talk about those when those are out. Nomi, I'm sending you so yes. much love, and thank you uh, for being here. Thank you for having me. It means so much, so much love. Okay. Right. So much love, so much respect. Ciao.
If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.